Good morning, Hope Church family. I want to thank you for devoting this time so that we could gather together. One of the words we're going to study in God's word as we kick back into our series through the book of Acts this week is this word devoted. And I want to just honor and thank you for your commitment to devoting these minutes this morning to fellowship together. It doesn't feel like fellowship, obviously, but to recognize that there's hundreds of other individuals this morning that have chosen to join you to praise the Lord together. And the beauty for me is to think that the Lord receives that praise, that the Lord hears our prayers, that he understands that part of our hearts that misses and longs for being together. I want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you for your generous tithes and offerings that you've been giving unto him sacrificially in this time. We, we all have watched the news. We wonder what next week's going to look like next month. We, we really accept that we have no idea what that's going to look like. But I'm so grateful for the fact that when I pray, that I can pray to the God that knows what next week is going to look like, that he knows what next month is going to look like, that he's good and his love endures forever. And when everything around us has felt like it's been disrupted, I love that promise from God's word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I'm so glad that you joined us. I, I hope that you're around people that you love. And I want you to know, for those of you, we've, we've interacted with you this week. Some of you are alone, that you're at home. You've been isolated. And we want you to know that we haven't forgotten you. We love you. We thank the Lord for you. And I also want to remind you this morning that the Lord hasn't forgotten you either. One of my favorite memories as a kid growing up in Dayton, Ohio, was the community pool. And I hope you had this experience when you were a kid, but we, we had this great community pool and it had one of those diving boards that it felt like you needed an elevator to get to the top of it. It was, it was awesome. And part of it, I can remember the very first time that I'd kind of worked up the courage that I was going to jump off this diving board. It, it felt like going to the top of the Eiffel Tower. You, you, each one of those rungs after you'd waited in line, like it's felt like for some of us to get to Costco over these last few days, it waited in this line that was forever. And then you get to this metal pole and you, you kind of climb up to the top. And, and then as you look down, I can just remember the emotions of just kind of thinking like, am I going to survive this? And, and I confess that there might've been one of those times that I did the walk of shame where I'd made it to the top. I felt the excitement and also the fear. And I had to do that humbling act of just crawling back down because I just wasn't confident enough in my ability to do it. And then the first time that I did it, the first time that I climbed to the top and I made it to the end of that diving board and that reckless abandoned leap, it changed every other time. And it made that whole experience something that was delightful. As I've prayed for you as a church family, something that I've recognized is that there are some individuals today that have been able to approach the chaos of what's going around with, with something that seems so counterintuitive, and it is desperate dependence on the Lord that almost leads to this emotion of confidence. And I, and I pray that for you. And today, as we go back into our study of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2, what we're going to see is a group of people where everything around them was changing, that, that there was so much transition that was happening in the early church. It was just a baby. But in the midst of that time, 
they were able to find strength and joy and confidence that allowed them to function with a reckless abandon, that abandonment that, that reminds us of the fact that the king of kings was their king, that the Lord was still their Lord, that they could have confidence in the fact that they could accomplish anything in his strength. There was a, a wonderful woman uh, who's a family friend of ours that uh, she had called our church a couple years ago and asked for prayer from the elders. And she uh, shared uh, that in that prayer time that, that she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. It was terrible diagnosis. And she had asked for prayer from the elders. I can remember sitting with her and I can remember spending time praying together. And then she looked up at me and she, she was wearing her, her mask before masks were cool. And she, she looked at me and you could just see over the mask, her eyes just lit up with joy. And she said these words and I can't get them out of my mind. She said, I know that the Lord is going to heal me in this life or the next. And she has spent her life. I got to speak to her on the phone uh, just a couple days ago. And I, as I talked to her, she's still radiating joy in the midst of terminal cancer, in the midst of all that's going on, because she understands what we're studying today. And if you catch this today, I'm guessing for some of us, it's going to be kind of like the first time off a diving board. It's scary. But, but in the book of Proverbs, it says this, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I think that's what happened in the early church. They decided that they were going to trust in the Lord, even with everything else shifting around them. And what we get to see is this work of the handiwork of God, a movement of God that they had the privilege of getting to be a part of. So I hope your Bible, you have your Bibles with you. I hope you turn them on. I hope you would grab one and look with me to the book of Acts chapter two. And I want to read through the text that we're going to be studying together today. If you get a chance, you can check out the previous sermons in the series where we talk about the unstoppable work of God as he launches his church and, and has this movement that really literally changed the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 42, it goes on to say, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread 
in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor and all the people with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. There's a word that's repeated in this section of scripture and it's devoted. They, they committed themselves to something that was essential. And when they did that, God did his handiwork in such a way that everything was changed. So the world around them, he describes it in the text uh, as a wicked and crooked generation, one that, that puts their very lives at risk. The, the things that were happening around them were, were uh, quite detrimental to their lives. But what we see here in the text is that that there was a receiving of God's truth in such a way that in that receiving process, their lives were radically changed. I want you to notice in this first few verses of this, picking back up in verse 36, that we're coming to the end previously of a sermon that Peter had delivered. It's been described as one of the greatest sermons that's ever been preached. And it was a hard truth that Peter warned them about sin in their life that was destroying them. And what's so powerful about this passage as we pick back up after the sermon is that they didn't just hear it. They didn't just, just grade it. But instead, what they did was they said, what do we do after hearing this truth? They, they accepted that some of those people that heard this message would have been the very people that put Jesus on the cross, that would have been those who declared crucify him. And Peter says that in the text, that, that this Jesus in verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he gives this hard truth, but instead of them critiquing the preacher or, or saying that he did a good or bad job, what they say is, what should we do with this truth? It says in the text that they, that they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is an example in scripture of a time where a person heard the truth of God's word. And it wasn't just an idea, but it became assimilated into their lives. It did something that moved them to be able to see their lives radically changed by the truth of God's word. In the book of James, we're warned that it's extremely dangerous for us to be people who are exposed to the truth of God's word, but don't prove, don't allow it to be something that proves itself in the way we live our lives. Here, these recipients of God's truth are able to say, it cuts us to the heart. What should we do? This reminds me, this challenges me that when I hear a message from God's word, when I set myself under the truth of God's word, I can choose to not just let it be an idea, but for it to be something that changes my very life. And I believe that that's what God asks of us. It's what he wants for us. One of the truths that we have to accept during this time is that that for many of us in this experience that we're going through with this pandemic, that, that for some of us, we have to be people that receive right now. That, that we have to be people that not just give, but that we receive. And here, they received a hard message. It changed their lives forever. I want to remind you, as Pastor Jim mentioned earlier, that, that as a church family, what we've seen is there have been needs that have come to the surface. And people have said, I want to be a part of solving that. But I think for some of us, this 
this example in scripture of them, they're humble, right? They're accepting that what Peter said to them means that they need need something. And I, and I believe that if, if you're hungry, we know how to find food. If you're hopeless, we know where to find hope. And I want to encourage you that today, if you're a person who knows the need in your life, that you'd be like these individuals in scripture that said, I, I need something more. What, what do I do? How do I respond? There's people who love you, who want to live in a way that encourages you. It, one of the most tragic experiences of my life was actually a man who I received a phone call from his ex-wife. And she was in tears. She said she was afraid. Some of the things that he was saying on the phone, she was afraid that he was going to hurt himself. And so she called me at church and she asked if I could go over to his home. I'll tell you, I prayed heavily on the way over to his home. Lord, what, I don't know what I'm going to experience when I go into this man's home. So I knocked on the door. He welcomed me in. You could just smell the alcohol. He, he had bottles of alcohol around him. And you could just see like he was just in this spot where he was just, he was just broken and empty. And one of the things that he just kept saying over and over to me is something that I think is a message from Satan that he says to so many people. And that is, he kept saying, nobody cares about me, Sean. Nobody, nobody cares about me. No one even knows. The irony is that, that his ex-wife loved him enough to reach out to a pastor to send somebody. I'm there because I cared about him. But you know what's awesome? is that as he's sitting there sharing with me how nobody cares about him, his phone goes off. And, and, and I, I thought he was kind of rude because he answers the phone while I'm sitting in his living room. And, and I can hear the voice. It was on speakerphone and I could hear the voice. It was a mutual friend of ours. And, and after this guy had been explaining to me, nobody cares about me. Nobody knows what I'm going. Nobody cares that I could hear this man's voice on the phone saying, hey, just wanted to let you know, the Lord put your, your name, you on my heart today, and, and I love you, and I just wanted you to know I care about you. It was, like, it was like seconds after he had been throwing a pity party for himself that no one cares. And it, and it strikes me that it's such a sad story because it's what Satan wants to say to every one of us over and over again. It's the lie that he wants to say to us, and that is, is, is God doesn't care about you. No one cares about you. You've been forgotten but the Lord of the universe actually has a message for us, one that can lead us from the kind of destruction that's surrounding us and give us hope, whether that hope is in the light of cancer or sickness or whether it's in addiction, fear, shame, agony. There's hope to be had. But, but kind of like that diving board, you don't get to stay on the diving board and get to dive into the water. You don't get them both. You have to be able to let go. I, I quoted the book of Proverbs earlier, that, that statement that says that, that is essential for us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not unto our own understanding. That's a, that's a letting go process. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The Lord wants us to let go. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41, that, that these individuals are, are told by Peter now, here's what you have to do to apply this hard truth to your life. And it's going to involve them letting go. This word repent is so important for us. He's, he's saying that you got to turn away from those things that are destroying you. You got to let them go. You got to stop choosing 
those things in your life that are actually wreaking havoc in your life. Peter says it like this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the same spirit that, that John mentions when he talks about being born again. This is, this is a description for a person to say, Jesus died for you. You can accept the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have confused this passage with understanding a type of baptism that ignores being baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, told the disciples they would baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse this passage. He, he's saying something specific to this audience, but he's not saying something different than that. He's saying, you're going to be baptized into the fullness of God. And if you associate yourself with Christ, he can change everything. In fact, that's what happens. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words, he bore witness. He continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked gender. Do you understand that the preacher, Peter here, is doing something extremely compassionate when he says this? I've, I've seen death. Peter felt the pain of his own sin and death as well. The man who denied Christ. And yet here he's saying, I know what the source of life is in a world that's really, really messed up. Verse 41 goes on to say, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So before this, the church was about 130 people. Now it grows exponentially. I love that curve didn't get flattened, right? That it, it grew and it multiplied and, and it would multiply to the point where you and I can call ourselves Christ followers, if we associate with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we accept what Peter commanded us, challenged us to do in this passage, to receive his word. I, I don't know for you if you've received the word of God in your life. When I tell the story of my friend who faced cancer, that test showed us that she had received the word of God in her life. She could stare death and say, death, where is your sting? She wants to live. She wants to see her grandchildren grow. She wants to be a part of sharing the gospel. She's, a, she's an amazing person, but she also understands the fact that there's salvation that comes from a God who loves her, and he's going to heal her in this life, or he's going to heal her in the next. So there's a letting go process that is essential for us. This term repentance is is a turning away from those things that would destroy us. And I, and I can't help but think with my, my, that man that I visited that those empty things that he was surrounding himself with were just empty lies that held nothing from him. They were cotton candy that, that attempts to satisfy something but meant nothing true in his soul. Wicked and corrupt generation. This full devotion that we see mentioned multiple times, receiving this truth of God means putting trust where trust is due. I think that's what Peter was challenging the original recipients of this message. And one of the things that as I keep going back to this book, this, um, this passage in the book of Proverbs that encourages me as a parent, as I'm trying to raise my children right now, is that 
When he said those words about trusting in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. That, that as he, he exa- gives us an example of what it means to be a person who trusts in the Lord in spite of whatever's happening, that that was the heart of a parent telling his child to trust in the Lord. It was a message to his sons. And, and I want to remind you today, church, that, that one of the temptations that I have as a parent think that it would have been a temptation maybe for Peter in that day was to imply that the people should put their trust in him as their leader or that, that as a parent that, that I want my kids to put their trust in me in a time of crisis. Like, I'm going to help you get through this. But, but isn't it powerful to understand that the message from the wisest man that ever lived, that he said to his kids, put your trust in the Lord. And I, I don't know where you're putting your trust in right now, but as a friend, I want to I encourage you to put your trust in the God of the universe that can be not only the author of your faith, but the perfecter of your faith. So, so there was this event that took place, and it goes on to then describe what church life looked like early on. And, and I, as I read this, I, I want to remind you that for them, this was something new, that there were cultural barriers that were being broken down. This was, this was abnormal. And today we accept that some of the things that are written here are things that require creativity right now. They, they require effort, but I believe these things can still be done in the church life that we're living today. I want you to hear these words. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and of the prayers. We're going to unpack what that word devoted means, but it's important to see that they made this priority of, of not only fellowshipping together, but to studying God's word, to sharing meals together. The breaking of bread was probably a reference both to shared meals, but also to the Lord's table, which I love the fact that on Good Friday, we were able to take communion, the Lord's table together through technology. I hope you joined us for that. In verse 43, it goes on, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And this is, this is so great. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who, not, not just who were attending with them, but those who were being, what the text says, that they were being saved, that they were experiencing a new life, that the Lord was adding this new thing that was going to take place, and the numbers are staggering what happens. Even in the midst of the season that we're going through as a church, that the Lord is still building his church. We're all praying for those of us who love the Lord, that there'd be a revival that takes place in America and in the world because people are hearing and seeing their desperate need for the Lord. But as you look at this and you unpack this, the word that comes to the surface first in verse 42 is the fact that they devoted themselves. This is a great word in Greek. It, it, we, we use this word in, in a v- variety of ways, but, but it, it, it is this idea of requiring tenacious persistence. It's, it's sticking together. It's unifying together. I can't think of any other image but of glue. That it's, it's that we're intentionally choosing to stick together 
through whatever the experiences that we're having in life. And they talk about meals together. They talk about fellowship. They talk about church. They talk about studying. They talk about praying together. But this devotion is an adherence together. Now, you and I have a choice as to how we spend our days. We get 24 hours a day, right? And, and as long as humanity has existed, that we've had a choice as to how we're going to spend our time. And, and I want to affirm the fact that even today, while we're stuck in our homes, most of us, that we have a way to decide how we're going to choose to invest our time. And there's a couple of ways that we can choose to devote our time that I think is going to make a, a massive impact on our lives. I want to apply this truth to you today in a, a particular way. The first is that I want to challenge you to stick to or to devote your mind to the truth of God's word. God's word is the word of life. It is our hope. It is my, my sustenance in, in these times where I find myself recognizing if I haven't chosen to devote myself to this, that my days are radically different. Well, when I choose to set my mind on the truth of God's word, it has changed my days. It's brought joy into times of sadness. It's given me hope. I hope you've experienced that. These, these words, I grew up being encouraged to do my devotions. I never really understood that word until I studied this, this passage this week. I, like that, the, the devotion is a time where I just sit back and I say, I'm going to chisel out this time as my priority to be able to sit at the feet of my Lord of my Lord. The second way that I want to encourage you to stick to or to devote yourself to is to devote yourself to one another. Now that might seem weird during a time of social distancing, but we've seen examples of that, of people who've chosen to pursue one another. We, if you haven't joined us on our prayer times on Wednesday night, you're missing out actually, because we, when we get together, one of the things that we're doing is burden-bearing fellowship with one another, even through technology. We've challenged each one of us to pursue each other. We've opened our tables to one another. Sometimes it's meant that we've opened our kitchen cabinets and our pantries to one another. We've seen examples of people doing that. And, and while we long for the day when we're able to break bread together face-to-face, -face, we accept that, that we still look at our things not as our own, but for other people's benefits. We're seeing Example of that over and over again in our church. The third stick to or devoting challenge that I have for you is that you stick and devote yourself to intimate prayer. This is the time when it's appropriate, as appropriate as it's ever been for us to be people who cry out to the Lord. I love the way David prayed to the Lord. He's like, I don't get this. What's going on? I don't understand why. And I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed that way to the Lord, that this is the time for you to experience the kind of prayer that God desires of you, to have honest interaction with him, to plead, to share with him the desires of your heart, to accept that he is aware of what's going on. And I think if we are people who choose to devote ourselves to the Lord, that we're all in, that we choose to embrace his promise for us, we miss one path, and that is the one to destruction that's described in this passage by Peter. But what we also do is we find ourselves being able to be a small part of what God's doing to bring himself glory in the world. Did you remember what it said in verse 41? It said, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 47, it says, the Lord added daily those who are being saved. It encourages me that that's the Lord's work. That's not about clever people who 
figure out uh, super creative ways to advance the gospel. It's actually really his work that we have the privilege of joining in. And I just want to remind you today, this morning, as we're studying God's word together, that that truth that's unapplied is truth that misses out the privilege of taking root in our life and really radically impacting the joy and the hope that we have. And so here we see an example of a group of people that heard a hard truth, one that really pierced their hearts. But when they chose to apply that truth in their lives, it had an impact that not only changed their lives, but it says their families' lives, the community that was around them. And we see that God is doing a movement, a movement that you and I get to be beneficiaries of today. This is his work. He wants to challenge you and I to be people who choose to let go of those things that are holding us back and to be able to approach with reckless abandon what he wants to do in and through us, even today, even amidst what we've been going through. I want to thank you for studying God's word together with me. And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying as we um, prepare our hearts to close this time out in worship. Father God, we love you. And I just want to thank you for your word that is the word of life. And it's been described as being like a mirror. And I, I want to thank you that as I watch and study this Acts chapter 2, this, this historical event that took place, I just, I see myself in that. I, I see myself in the, the reflection of an individual that hears your truth and has the potential of either choosing to apply it or to attempt to ignore it. And I want to thank you for those who've gone before us who have chosen to accept the truth of God's word, that they, they devoted themselves to the truth of God's word and that it changed the way they did community, the way they saw their own things, the, the way that they looked at those who are around them. And I pray that for Hope Church. I pray that as we, we strive to be a church that's here for Brunswick and beyond, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be people that get to be a part of your movement and I ask, Lord, in a spirit of repentance that you would draw out of us those things that are not of you, that you would allow us to see them for what they are, those things that have been allowed to creep into our lives that could be doing a great destruction in our lives, that, that give Satan that little voice that he wants to have in us, that, that tells us that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough, that no one would ever love us, that the God of the universe would reject us if he knew our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you know our hearts perfectly and that you choose to give us the ability to do what Peter challenged those who heard this message originally, to repent. Would we do that? Lord, would you do a movement amongst us? Would it begin with those who are hearing this message this morning? Would it begin with us being people who devote ourselves to you, to your word, to prayer, and to one another, even in these unusual times. We love you. Thank you for this privilege. And as we close our time out in worship and see these cardboard testimonies, I bring such a joy to my heart to see our church family and some of these stories. I can't wait to see them face to face and to embrace them and to hear more of their story. But we just thank you for the privilege of being with one another, even if it's just through technology. You're an awesome God. We love you. 
We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.